0: only six seconds left and then Chad Kowarek
1: will be released.
0: Six seconds of power play time remaining. Henson was thrown out of the uh, faceoff circle because like to contact the sports department please email us at sports at wcbn.org or call the station at 734-763-3500. Pass comes forward here's Hensick. now to Kalorick he's behind the defense he's in shot and score Chad Kalorick out of the penalty box gives the Wolverines a 4-0 lead. Let's get it started. Let's get Let's get it started. Let's get it started. is fun, and so is WCBN-FM in Ann Arbor.
1: uh 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, roughly. Uh, welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And kind of a rude awakening for winter for most of the country. Interesting how a lot of the snow went around Michigan. South, this north. Time. This time, exactly. And uh, you always hear a lot of belly aching in Michigan. But the winter's here, and they are rough in some spots. But you look at this storm and what it's done nationwide, we've gotten off pretty lucky. So, a little dusting out
2: there. I will mention that uh, anyone out there who's uh, getting into the car, uh, there appears to be a fire, a house fire perhaps, on uh, Wells Street. So, Packard between Granger and Wells, you ain't getting through. Uh, You'll have to be driving around that. So uh, well, that's a traffic update. By <laughs> Mr. Twyer. <laughs> had to drive through that myself. And, had to come uh, that way. Something's burning on Wells Street. They're uh, celebrating they're roasting
1: chestnuts on the open fire a that's little bit. Right. Well, well that. that's
2: the other thing about the holiday season is uh, candles come yeah. out. of course. it's the the darkest weeks of the year. Uh, don't leave a candle unattended. even if you think you're just going to be out of the room for a moment you might be uh, surprised to find the curtains blaze upon your return so. yeah
1: candles are uh, surprisingly dangerous they are useful when camping however uh, so I recommend taking a candle or two when you camp because you can keep your your flame burning yep in case you got to reignite your fire if you're doing the rough uh, the rough stuff out in the woods Kind of a depressing week overall with all of the international uh, things going on in the Ukraine, North Korea, Lottie Lottie, Dotty dadi, <laughs> and of course the uh, the big story of the week: uh, Nelson, the passing of Nelson Mandela. Um, fascinating to examine the the way the story sort of progressed over a couple of days. Um, obviously, the first day. Uh, And it's interesting that four ex-presidents are going to the uh, funeral services in South Africa. That's probably somewhat unprecedented. Uh, I don't even know if that happened when Winston Churchill passed away because there weren't many ex-presidents alive uh, in 1965. And uh, the British uh, BBC radio, I thought, had some excellent uh, programming about the complex life of Nelson Mandela. As a radio station, um, since we are a radio station that mainly plays music, I wanted to make the observation that Nelson Mandela's struggle and the symbolism of his uh, of the oppression that he endured as a political prisoner, which he was, um, in, inspired incredible music uh, from the, the '70s and '80s, in particular uh, reggae and. Uh, indigenous African music uh, benefited enormously uh, using Nelson Mandela almost as a muse uh, for some just uh, excellent uh, music uh, in his honor. So I just wanted to throw that out as a slightly different perspective on things.
2: Well, and I think it's also important to remember uh, the point that uh, student activism on college campuses had a lot to do with Getting America to the point uh, where it could recognize, oh, we maybe don't want to do business with South Africa anymore, the divestment movement. Which Obama, interestingly, made a comment about uh, on the
1: night of his passing, that this is what inspired him to become involved in politics as a student. And, of course, in the 1980s, it was, I think, universally (laughs) acknowledged, uh, with the exception of Ronald Reagan. Yeah. That uh, Nelson no, was buddies
2: with P.W. Botha. Yeah,
1: yeah. And there were certainly songs about that. And, and one of the great omissions over the past several days, I think, about the American relationship with South Africa during the apartheid years was the uh, involvement of South Africa in Israel's nuclear weapons program. No mention of that.
2: No. Uh, <laughs> and we'll maybe talk about that uh, uh, at greater length uh, at some time in the future. Um, but no mention, uh, also made of the fact that it was a CIA informant who tipped off the South African police as to the hiding place, uh, uh in which Nelson Mandela was when he was arrested. Although I did hear that on the BBC, uh, Adam Hoekstrau was in. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know if, if anyone has like officially apologized on behalf of the United States for that. Uh, but that's one of those, uh cold war moments where uh you know uh, up until the reagan administration the african national congress was on the official books as a terror organization um clearly any uh open-minded perspective on the struggles of uh black south africans uh can see that this is a freedom movement you know? sure and uh Interesting to hear a quote uh, Jesse Jackson relayed on the BBC the night of Mandela's passing that he had spoken with Mandela and uh, and obviously on a number of occasions and that uh, Mandela had been involved in uh, military maneuvers, uh, attacking uh, South African police, attacking South African soldiers. The African National Congress was not getting the uh, results they uh, had hoped for from these attacks and were beginning to contemplate well, maybe we uh, target hospitals or schools. Uh, And he was arrested before those attacks happened uh, with Mandela's involvement. And uh, this is a profound observation that Mandela said he would rather have done the 35 years in prison than to have made that step, to have gotten to the point where Potentially innocent victims would have been hurt.
1: Yeah, and there's no question that he was briefly a member of the Communist Party, but I think that's largely irrelevant. Uh, The ANC stands for African National Congress. Uh, They were a nationalist organization, and this confusion in American um, political elites about communism and nationalism, Mm -hmm. of course, is one of the fundamental problems that got us into the Vietnam War. Right. Right. Uh, that was uh, definitely confused. Uh, and,
2: and con- or to overthrow the government of Chile.
1: Yeah, and and communism, of course, anti-communism was a dominant concept of American foreign policy, essentially starting in 1947 when the National Security State was created. Uh, I would say that the incipient aspects of it, uh, post-war, post-Second uh, World War, started in '46. It's quite clear that J. Edgar Hoover... And Huac were actively creating paranoia and fear, uh, which, uh, of course, got its big splashy headlines in the Hollywood hearings that mm-hmm. happened in 1947, following an appearance by J. Edgar Hoover in March earlier that year, in which he, uh, <clears throat> before Huac, uh, um, in in which he commented about the threat of communism uh, to America. And we, unfortunately, saw the results thereafter. Of course, it finally was acknowledged that Reagan uh, vetoed the sanctions bill in 1986, that this was overwhelmingly overridden by Congress, including a majority of Republicans. Uh, I don't think you'd see that uh, this day and age. Uh, I heard an observation that this was the only time in the 20th century in which Congress overrode a foreign policy policy. Issue. Um, It's amazing that Big Fig, i.e. Newt Gingrich, would uh, emerge today as one of the stories of the Nelson Mandela thing, because uh, he apparently uh, posted on Facebook. He, by the way, voted to override Reagan's veto, to his credit. He was a member of Congress, but he was not Speaker of the House back then. He was sort of a grenade-throwing backbencher, as they say. In Great Britain and uh, it's interesting that he posted the Facebook uh, uh, postings in which he defended this and as he put it the vitriolic hatred the responses that have come around the country uh, to my comments and saying that this was the right thing are amazing apparently there was a uh, sheriff somewhere in South Carolina that refused to uh, fly flags at half-mask and uh, so it's interesting that the one word that was repeated over and over, regardless of uh, who was making this sort of uh, memory uh, commemoration of, of Nelson Mandela, was the word reconciliation. Mm. A very interesting concept, because reconciliation euphemistically sounds a lot better than compromise.
2: <laughs> well, and reconciliation also involves things like uh, realization, awareness. Uh, even forgiveness yeah um and these are difficult things to do even in the best of circumstances and although you know south africa's uh as a nation a uh, lot has improved uh there's still a long ways to go before it's a truly you know e- equal democratic country with uh opportunities for all, but that could be said for any country, including right here at home. Yes, and that that's
1: one of the ironies, is that, of course, the, the water cannons of Bull Connor in the 1960s are not that far removed mm-hmm. from apartheid. Uh, one of the fascinating things was that um, Nelson Mandela, who I think wisely only served one term, uh, he he obviously was in poor health even when he became president, uh, it's interesting. I was actually living in Detroit when he did his uh, his tour of the United States. Huh. He came to Tiger Stadium. Many of the icons of uh, Motown were there, uh, including Stevie Wonder and Aretha Franklin. Um, gave a speech t- at Tiger Stadium in which uh, there were forty-nine to fifty thousand people. Uh, this was a well-beloved man around the world. I think that that ninety-five percent of the people probably uh, knew that the apartheid regime was doomed. But one of the fascinating things about reconciliation and Nelson Mandela was that he actually put Peak Botta in mm-hmm. his first cabinet. He, of course, was a member of Afrikaner, and I think p- perhaps a cousin of P.W. Botha, who was uh, rightly demonized uh, in the 1980s by many musicians <laughs> that I was referring to earlier. Yeah, Brian played some of those reggae
2: artists uh, on yeah. Saturday's show.
1: And um, <clears throat> it's fascinating that the United, that, that uh, South Africa was not only a conduit for Israel's nuclear arms uh, program that <clears throat> they've never acknowledged and continue to deny exists, but it's pretty well established that this is where they got the
2: uranium, right. by the way. Um, that's what they lacked they had the technology yeah for the missiles and so and it's
1: interesting because the technology so to speak is uh, many scientists around the world know how to make these weapons it's getting the highly enriched uranium that's the difficulty and that's actually at the heart of the iranian uh, debate that's that's ongoing today iran clearly is uh, processing uranium but it is not highly enriched uranium, and this is a important scientific distinction that gets lost in some of the uh, ad hominem rhetoric about the Iranian regime. But the fact that uh, Nelson Mandela put Piquet Bota in his first cabinet demonstrated uh, the character and the willingness that, uh, and the wisdom of. Of Nelson Mandela, I was making a comment several weeks ago, ago about the wisdom of George Washington putting Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson in his first cabinet. They were political opponents, um, not of the nature, by the way, of, of um, Afri Connors and, say, oppressed people like Nelson Mandela, but it's kind of interesting to see how now there's this sort of wave of criticism of nelson mandela that he didn't do enough that he fell short on on uh his uh promises and south africa is besotted with all these problems but uh i dream of Jeannie does not operate government and a country that you know it would be nice if you could shake your head or twiggle your nose or whatever she did <laughs> right she was the shaker of the head right it yeah was bewitched that. with the nose with the nose yeah It would be nice if that's the way the world worked, but reality doesn't work that way. And uh, Nelson Mandela was confronted uh, with enormous uh, problems. And the legacy of apartheid is very analogous to the legacy of slavery here in the United States.
2: Well, and that's an important point because uh, we've got euphemisms for that uh, era of American history. Uh, The colorful expression Jim Crow. Is just it's still you know used in the schools. Well, those were the Jim Crow laws, and uh, students don't really understand that the, the derivation of that name, the origin of it. Um, they think it's Old Crow, which is a bourbon. It's a bourbon, right? Uh, or <laughs> Jim Crow sounds like a candy bar, or maybe some athlete or something. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's just the name that American apartheid had, and uh, that word apartheid is an ugly word. Uh, and uh, it, it was the struggle in South Africa that made that word become applicable to a number of other uh, oppression-related uh, situations. And let's
1: remember that the United States was funneling uh, covert aid through the CIA to uh, South Africa in the ni- late 70s, early 80s under Reagan to destabilize uh, Angola and Mozambique. These were Portuguese colonies that had their own civil wars going on. Uh, Portugal was the last European colony, uh, c- uh, colonial power, to uh, free its African possessions, and this was still part of this uh, kind of misguided
2: American foreign policy. Well, there's the Angola is the classic example of, uh, of free people's. Uh, who had sought out uh, help from international oil companies to uh, harvest some of the resources, which would be nationalized. Uh, but the U.S. supported UNITA uh, rebel fighters uh, were attacking these uh, installations. And the ironic uh, position that Castro sent soldiers to defend. Uh, Corporate oil bases right from United States sponsored terror attacks against these international oil well sites indeed Uh, That was the Reagan foreign policy in a nutshell a complete insanity
1: And I was uh, you know, it's interesting. I was rereading a a little bit of the real terror network terrorism in fact and propaganda by Edward S. Herman Uh, This author has co-written a number of books uh, with Noam Chomsky over the years, Uh, this book published by uh, the rather radical uh, publishing house, House South End Press, in Boston. And in the beginning, in the preface, he's talking about these uh, euphemisms regarding terrorism, and he notes that... um, In the preface, and I'll just read this briefly because it's interesting as it relates to Ronald Reagan, says the irony of this rapidly expanding real terrorism accompanying Washington's pronouncement of a new concern with something called terrorism was lost on the Western mass media following an initial uh, period of bold and open displacement of human rights by terrorism as alleged uh, soul of U.S. foreign policy. In November 1981, the Reagan administration decided to reorganize the soul further and reintroduce human rights. Skipping a couple of sentences, if Carter could establish a reputation for being a human rights zealot by an occasional qualification in his general support of friendly terrorist states, why shouldn't Reagan get away with reconciling human rights with an unqualified support? A recent State Department memo, this is uh, from the New York Times, dated uh, the 5th of November, 1981, outlined the new commitment, indicates how this may be accomplished through the application of what may be called the three Bs. One, but human rights must be balanced against U.S. economic security and other interests, quote-unquote. But, quote, we must take into account the pressures a regime faces in the nature of its enemies, unquote. But human rights are not advanced by replacing a corrupt dictator with a zealous communist politburo. The three Bs would seem to cover all contingencies and preclude any restraint on friendly state terror, but quiet diplomacy, quote-unquote, doing absolutely nothing, which... Is essentially what the essence of the Reagan foreign policy was towards South Africa. You'll recall that they came up with a euphemism called constructive engagement.
2: Oh, right. <laughs> a policy I'm still trying to figure out. Because it never meant anything at all. <laughs> and you can see how those but, 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 which is really the yeah. joke about those three Bs. It's all the same B. But, but, but we can be hypocrites as long as our own interests are uh, maintained. Uh, says a lot about uh, the Reagan-era wars against the people of Central uh, and South America, too. Yeah, and, and, and let's even throw in
1: Afghanistan for, for that sure. matter. Of course, it's well known historically that the Reagan administration supported UNITA in Angola, uh, and South Africa was the conduit and the supporter of this flow of, of, of basically military supplies and terror equipment into these conflicts. Um, Angola, of course, is uh, certainly still ruled by a repressive leader in Eduardo Santos, but uh, these, these, are a colonial, these are anti-colonial movements that are trying to free themselves from the yoke of hundreds of years of Western European imperialism, uh, in the case of, of the Africa. If you look at a map of Africa, interestingly, from the 19th century, you'll Mm. see virtually the entire continent. I mean the entire continent, with the exception of Ethiopia, literally divided up uh, between the European colonial powers. Germany, late to the table, even had their pieces. Yeah, and, of course, Bota, uh, P.W. Bota, was heavily involved in destabilizing Namibia, which Mm -hmm. is the German uh, uh, colonial possession that you're referring to. Angola, right, later Angola. um, So it's, um, you know, the... (laughs) the, the, You know, Ronald Reagan's legacy has been tarnished a little bit this week, but I think it's been downplayed... uh, Quite a bit here in the American media, and who would think that Big Fig would be back into the into the mix? I thought I'd be hearing about him jumping
2: off the Empire State Building <laughs> in a Santa Claus outfit, maybe. Well, eh, there's still a couple weeks to go before uh, Christmas, so that may happen. Yeah, but it it's clear that uh I'm sure uh, most people who came into a sort of state of political awareness during the uh, 70s or 80s, uh, the passing of Nelson Mandela is the passing of truly one of the great heroes of the 20th century, and uh, he'll be remembered forever in the pantheon of human heroes uh, who fought for freedom and who took great sacrifices upon themselves, sometimes by choice, sometimes not. Uh, so right up there with uh, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Yeah, Nelson and- Mandela will... Uh, be fixed in the government. I, I
1: think it was interesting that even Obama on Thursday night made the comment that uh, the the quote likes and I'm paraphrasing here of Nelson Mandela will not likely be seen again during our lifetime. Uh, perhaps it's because maybe we have moved uh, from the 19th century thinking uh, to some extent, not enough, but at least uh, I think that it can be universally. Uh, be accepted as a matter of truth that apartheid was a system that was doomed and it was ironic in the presentation on BBC that it was actually the incarceration of Nelson Mandela that led to the downfall of the apartheid regime. Uh, Nelson Mandela fought for one thing quite clearly that was unconditional release and that was a uh, interesting uh, use of the word unconditional because this, of course, was the uh, one of the war goals of the Allies during World War II. Um, unconditional surrender. Unconditional surrender uh, to Germany, Italy, and uh, Japan. Uh, issued in a proclamation by Roosevelt uh, after a meeting of uh, Roosevelt and-, and Churchill, and <clears throat> the, uh, the 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 determination, the stubbornness, the ability of Nelson Mandela not to compromise on that uh, is what ultimately led to his eventual release by F.W. de Klerk, uh, who have, ironically, of course, ran in the first presidential election against Nelson Mandela as, as the opposition candidate. Uh, and the other thing that's fascinating about the tributes to Nelson Mandela was the overwhelming sense that this was a man who had a common touch. He wasn't. Uh, while possibly vain at a personal level, people have talked about that, uh, he had a common touch with uh, everybody, and he exuded humanity. And uh, these are the great qualities that made him a kind of a natural-born leader. I was thinking of the uh, uh, Shakespeare quote, you know, some men are born great, others become great, and others have greatness thrust upon Mm -hmm. them. Nelson Mandela was an example of all three. Indeed. So uh what, 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 what is that from Henry the Fourth? I think so. I think it might be. Yeah. I'm better at remembering. Part two. <laughs> I'm better at remembering some Shakespeare quotes than uh which play they're from.
2: <laughs> um uh, I know the tragedy's better than the history, so
1: <laughs> Yeah. Well it's interesting that he, he dabbled in both as well as the light comedies. Uh you know one of the other kind of the week last week kind of started before Nelson Mandela passed away with the bankruptcy the announced bankruptcy of Detroit uh interesting to see some rather unflattering pictures of Detroit published on the front page of the New York Times, you know the symbolism of the decay and the neglect, and you know they had a three pretty horrific pictures. <laughs> Uh, That's uh, the media, uh, you know, still getting Detroit a little wrong and hopefully. Well, it's easy to beat up on a guy when he's down. (laughs) Things can be remedied uh, through uh, negotiations and perhaps uh, reconciliation. Uh, Those are perhaps uh, concepts that uh, John Boehner would would behoove John Boehner to maybe uh, start thinking
2: about them. Well, I still maintain that the potential exists for Detroit to be reinvented as a new American city for the 21st century. There's, With the infusion of not even that much capital, uh, the destruction of uh, empty buildings, the uh, growth of the uh, urban farming movement, um, the huge numbers of creative people who remain in Detroit, Uh, there is a future for Detroit. It's just got to be uh, reinvented. Harnessed, and I, I I like to point
1: out to outside observers that Detroit has more engineers than Silicon Valley, the Detroit area. So Detroit is...
2: It's not quite dead yet. <laughs> that's right.
1: Anyway, uh, we, you are listening to WCBN-FM <laughs> Ann Arbor. We'd like to thank Andrew for engineering uh, once again this week. Uh, one of the more interesting, there was an unemployment report out this week that shows that the economy is kind of poking along but uh fascinating that there were these low uh, w- these these protests at uh, about low wages uh, around the country yeah the fast food workers are uh, fast food workers are out there again and i wanted to read this interesting observation about wisconsin uh staff report this is from um believe it or not news of the weird that appears in the funny times uh this is a staff report by democrats this is from the november uh 2013 edition report by Democrats on the U.S. Committee on Education and Workforce released recently and using data from Wisconsin because the state's comprehensive record keeping found that taxpayers wound up paying at least $75 million a year in safety net assistance to the state's Walmart workers, food stamps, Medicaid, school lunches, earned income tax credits, allegedly because the company's wages and benefits are so meager. The report and update uh, on 2004 numbers that were less than half those found this time around estimated that Walmart families accounted for more than 9,000 Wisconsin Medicaid enrollees. The $75 million covering 75 stores represents the low estimate with a high-end estimate of
2: $130 million. So they get their cake and they get to eat it, too. They get to get all the tax breaks for being job creators, but they get to fob off the actual costs of supporting the people who are doing the work for them onto the state.
1: Medicaid, a program brought
2: to you by Walmart.
1: Well, Yazoo City Calling is up, uh, raring to go to keep you warm on this uh, rapidly chillifying evening. It's going to be very cold tomorrow. So bundle up, Jerry Max, got Yazoo City Calling right here on WCBN-FM and Arbor.